Blog Talk Radio. under the fiction imprint, Milford House. I'm Sherry Knowlton. Um, I write the Alexa Williams suspense series. Um, the novels are Dead of Autumn, Dead of Summer, Dead of Spring, and the latest, Dead of Winter. And I'm Jan West. Hi. I write the Carlisle Crime Case series. Dying for Vengeance is the first one, followed by Courting Doubt and Darkness, Darkness at First Light, and How to Dine Fall, featuring homicide detectives Christopher Snow and Aaron McCoy. The first four titles are all now available on Kindle, and they're also bundled together, and other online sites, just for $2.99 each. I hope my latest book, Things Strangled, will be released, be released in the fall of 2019. So today on Milford House Mysteries, um, we're going to have we're, we're not going to have a guest. Um, we're going to do one of those periodic shows uh, for those of you who are our regular listeners, um, where Joan and I uh, talk about a topic related to writing. And today we're going to share writing tips. Um, our audience is aspiring writers. Um, or um, anybody who's a writer who needs a reminder uh, or a different approach or some suggestions for working your way out of writer's block, that dreaded writer's block, um, or somebody who just wants to try a different technique, a fresh technique. Um, There are, of course, um, a number of best-selling authors out there uh, who have written entire books about writing essentials, Uh, Some of them that we would want to note, you know, Stephen King, his book is, uh, you know, considered, I think, a masterpiece on writing. P.D. James and Margaret Atwood um, are um, additional writers who explain their approach to the writing process, um, and each is very different um, from the other. And all writers have their own approaches. And some techniques work better for us than others. Uh, my favorite technique or trick is to stop writing or actually typing uh, mid-paragraph, mid-sentence, or mid-stream of thought. That way, when you return to your story, you'll be able to reread that last sentence or that last paragraph and then finish it. But perhaps we should start at the beginning with brainstorming brainstorming or pre-writing tricks that put us in the frame of mind to write. We've all heard that journaling, reading, and letting our thoughts about character, plot, theme, or whatever percolate, jotting down or recording good ideas as they enter our heads. My best time for a novel, and by this I mean new idea, comes to me right before I fall asleep, so I keep pen and paper by my bedstand. What about you, Sherry? How do you begin the writing process? Um, you 
know, I, I wouldn't say that I actually have a specific process for that first germ of an idea that sparks a book. Um, and generally, i found that I see something or have a thought, and it just sort of stays there in my mind until one day I think, oh, yeah, that, that's going to be um, a key part of my next book. Uh, my latest book is, is a good example, uh, Dead of Winter. Uh, and the the opening chapter, or the is sort of the spark of the idea on that, came to me when I was sitting in my eye doctor's chair <laughs> um, and waiting for him to come into the little uh, room to do the exam. And he had a uh, computer uh, there, which uh, was featuring uh, some footage that was taken uh, by a drone, uh, and. Uh, he uh, so I when I he came in I asked him about it he he was talked to me about you know filming with drones and all of that and I thought wow what if a drone finds a dead body and so there you know it went from there um, so in the original idea I don't necessarily have a, a standard process but I do have a fairly standard process um, when I begin a book that's sort of developed over the course of time. Uh, generally, I like to write a draft of the first chapter. That, that really grounds me um, in the story. Um, then I create a high-level outline, um, and uh, it can be adjusted as the story evolves, but I'm one of those folks who likes to have a, an idea of how it's going to end who the bad guys are, all that sort of stuff. Um, but much of my thinking about the story, the dialogue, and so forth comes when I'm driving to yoga class. Um, and uh, I'll jot down notes uh, when I get to a parking space. Um, and then other ideas just fully develop as I begin to write. Well, do you want to describe what you mean by high-level outline? High-level outline... Um, I don't do like every every little thing that's going to happen in the book. What I do is by chapter. I say, oh, this is going to be the main focus of the chapter, and maybe I'll write down maybe three, four sentences at most um, about what I think is going to happen in that chapter. Um, now, like I said, it can change uh, once I begin to write but at least it gives me a set of um, mileposts as I, uh, you know, go along uh, that where I'm I'm aiming for, and sometimes I'll even go back and amend the outline to make sure that it it's still going to flow well. But mm -hmm. that's what I mean by high level, okay. um, not real detailed. Okay. All right. Uh, I tried that once. It didn't work for me. But <laughs> yeah, another good I, I know you're more of a, like, it just flows, but um, yeah. I, I guess I'm uh, just more, you know, uh, in my um, work uh, as I did technical writing and stuff over the years, um, you know, I always needed that sort of outline. So it's translated into fiction for me as well. Okay. Well, whatever works. Another good habit for us as writers to observe and record is like your total mental landscape. And 
I read that somewhere once upon a time, and that includes the, the geography, dreams, life experiences, your senses, and your knowledge. All are necessary to lead in writing to a sense of reality or what we in the literary world call verisimilitude, which is a long, way, a long word, but it means you know, a sense, making the scene realistic. And, of course, fantasy and science fiction writers, they can relax a bit, but not ignore this technique because readers must believe in this world and its inhabitants in order, in order to enter the story. My frame of reference is mainly mystery genre, although my background is in the classics, so my examples will echo my frame of reference. My main protagonists, detectives Christopher Snow and Aaron McCoy, are composites of my experience, my perceptions, and imagination. Snow is seasoned, self-confident, solid, and responsible, having all the traits one would expect for a law enforcement officer. However, McCoy is new to being a detective, so she has more latitude to make mistakes and missteps, but she's a quick study. Savage, on the other hand, is the surprise. He's the question mark. The veterans whose PTSD comes to the fore now and then. And besides, he's a maverick anyway. He's always questioning authority. But he's realistic nonetheless. Sherry, what are your protagonists, Alexa and Reese, based on? Well, I guess I'd say my main character, Alexa Williams, is really a composite character. Um, with some maybe aspirational aspects built into her character. And what I mean by aspirational is like things that I admire um, about people. Uh, For example, Mm -hmm. her bravery um, is something that uh, impresses me in people. So I've made um, Alexa a pretty brave um, woman. Uh, Friends who read my novels do say that um, she reminds them a little bit of me. But really, that's surface stuff. Um, it's uh, some, some of the things like her preferences, like, you know, she drinks tea in the morning, she goes to yoga class, she lives in the woods. But she's very, very different from me. Um, uh, and she's not, definitely not a younger, more attractive version of the author. She's her own fictional person. And I'd say that that's true of all my characters. I really can't think of a single character I've written who is based on a specific individual. Um, You know, I might borrow some characteristics uh, from a real person, as I think, you know, most authors do borrow from, uh, you know, who people that they encounter in real life. But I've never really thought, oh, I want this character to be just like Sam or Sue or uh, whoever. Uh, I would say that the one exception to uh, that is uh, the character of Alexa's English Mastiff Scout. Um, And he's definitely um, based on uh, some dogs. Um, He's an amalgam of the three English Mastiffs that were part of our family um, over the years. And that makes him realistic because he's based on actual real dogs. Another key writing tip, yeah, yeah, another (laughs) tip for an author is to find the balance between narration, exposition, description, and dialogue. Novice writers tend too often to lean on exposition and narration when it's preferred 
description is preferred because it shows, it puts the reader in your landscape, in the world you want them to sense. So I try to include all five senses when I'm describing to appeal to my readers for a total immersion in this particular novel. People comment that my characters eat a lot or that I focus on food. Well, there's a reason (laughs) for that. You know, some people enjoy eating, and it's, you know, we, there's a whole uh, sense also of it of being a social activity, revealing how families or strangers come together. And food can be an icebreaker or a deal maker. You know, meals can celebrate life and rites of passage. Um, meals can be formal or stilted affairs, too, as we've read in, for example, recently, uh, my book club read A Man from Moscow. And uh, the meals were very formal and very. Uh, Stiff, in my view, or as we've uh, seen in Downton Abbey. And then also, Aaron McCoy's father is a chef, and so that plays a lot into the plot, too. Um, You know, I I have to agree about the importance of conveying all senses. Um, uh, An author once told me not to forget the character's feet when describing a fight. Um, He said that most people forget to write about what the character's feeling beneath them on the ground, especially during fight scenes. And that advice, you know, especially in the broader sense of, you know, don't forget um, all those senses, don't get trapped into a a very narrow narrow sense of uh, set of senses uh, has really struck, uh, stuck with me. Um, and I think it helps describe the the character's experience in a multifaceted way. Um, In terms of balance, you know, in terms of what to emphasize, what not to emphasize in writing to to strike that perfect ideal, um, I I do find that it's something that I I really continue to to work at, achieving that balance. Um, Personally, I'm very comfortable with writing dialogue, Um, And I often encapsulate narrative into conversations between characters to escape the trap that everybody talks about of too much telling. Um, And I think I'm okay with describing action. Um, But where I struggle a little bit more is with description, with use of imagery, and techniques like foreshadowing. Um, My initial draft of a novel almost always falls short um, in these areas, and um, that's part of my second draft process to work more of those critical elements into my books during the rewrites. Mm -hmm. Let's let's go back to dialogue for a moment. Dialogue can be really hard to master. We need to, like, listen, you know, hold a mirror up to people's conversations. Um, People use contractions, fragments, common idioms, dialogue, well-known acronyms, and everyday language of the streets, the city, county, or small town, wherever your story is set. I try to avoid that ping-pong effect of too many taglines, like he said, she asked, he commented, um, because it slows the conversation down. But when, you know, three or more people are talking or conversing together, we need to keep in mind that that we have to identify the different speakers uh, and not assume that our readers can follow um, can follow the dialogue. But and, and dialogue can be really memorable. 
who you know who can forget De Niro's line? You talking to me? You know, or the Terminator when he says, "I'll be back." <laughs> and we can quote our favorites, and they because they surprise us with fire and ice. Yeah, like my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. <laughs> Wouldn't it be wonderful <laughs> to write such a memorable line as that from mm-hmm. the Princess Bride? Um, Tricks that I've heard for making sure dialogue flows and sounds realistic um, include, uh, number one, just listening to conversations. Um, I think this is especially important if you're uh, writing a character or characters who are different from you. For example, uh, if you're an adult in your 50s or 60s, you may no longer have regular exposure uh, to the current crop of teenagers, so maybe you don't know how they talk anymore. Uh, similarly, if you're a writer who's in your 20s, you might not realize that baby boomers still <laughs> say things like cool. Uh, so doing research, uh, you know, track down a teenager and ask them to read your dialogue. That's one approach. Um, Oh, you know, um, I think Jody had mentioned before is you know sort of just studying um, people in uh, in public situations is another. Um, but even if it's a conversation of uh, people within your own wheelhouse, you know, people who are familiar to you in a particular region or a particular age group, it doesn't hurt to read the dialogue out loud to yourself. Um, doing that can reveal some really stilted or awkward phraseology, you know. Do real people really talk like this is the question. Yeah, I agree with that. Reading out loud is a good um, a, a, a good approach. Um, another good tip, I think, is that we have to also concentrate on conflict. Happy people can't seem content, but novels thrive. They, it's necessary to have that conflict. Um, we recognize that there are four main ones in literature, man versus man, man versus nature, man versus self, God is supernatural. Successful stories show characters with problems, with conflicts, um, and they show problems between conflicts between rivals, uh, struggle between good and evil, the law and the criminal, the conservative versus the liberal, the strong versus the weak, predator or prey, and too often lately, unreliable narrators. Um, not one of my favorite ones. <laughs> Regardless, conflict is crucial because what we want are characters that are usually, uh, because if a character wants something, it's something that he doesn't have, and that usually puts him out of step. You know? So therefore, he has a dilemma. He has to make a choice. And so asking questions and creating conflicts for your characters, I think, and especially in mystery and in most novels, I think is essential. And if you can do that, then the plot will follow happily along. Yeah, I think conflict is, uh, you know, very important. Um, and it, it, it doesn't have to be like fights or things, but just a conflict of all the things that you talked about that can help drive things along. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and since we write, uh, both of us write mystery and suspense, you know, some of the techniques, let's talk about some of the techniques that you can use to build suspense as a writer. 
Okay. Um, one of the most uh, important ones is uh, at the end of each chapter, leave things hanging. Um, you know, build it up to an action or an important port point where the reader wants more. Um, so you want them to go on to that next chapter because they really want to know what happens, how this thing or this conflict resolves. Um, another common technique that authors use is the ticking clock. Um, this is the, the familiar, I'm sure, to uh, many of you, uh, books where the protagonist must get dump something done to keep something bad from happening. Um, you know, they're going off to save the world or, uh, you know, to, to save a bomb from exploding or whatever. Um, sometimes, there, you know, there's different twists depending on the, the book and the author. Sometimes the reader knows something bad is going to happen, but the characters don't, and, and that conveys a, a different uh, level of suspense. Um, for example, in uh, one of my books, uh, Dead of Summer, um, Alexa has to race for help because her mother is bleeding from a wound. Um, and not only is she seriously hurt, so Alexa needs to save her um, before she um, could die, but also the bad guys are out looking for them, um, and so she has to get help before. So there's a ticking clock there that she's racing against, and, uh, you know, her mother is the one who's vulnerable. You know, even the atmosphere of a, a novel is also a way to build suspense. Um, you know, think about setting a, a book or, or a scene at, during the nighttime. You know, just things happening in the dark can be very foreboding. Um, I've had some people tell me that... Um, the the fact that some of my scenes take place in a forest um, automatically sets them on edge. You know, they must not. They must feel a little <laughs> frightened by being in a forest, especially though if it's at night. You know, um, you know things like uh, dystopian novels really play with the the atmosphere, um, and uh, you know you can use uh, that sort of setting as a way to, to really create a looming sense of suspense. Another way uh, that, that deals with atmosphere is to turn a safe space into a, play, uh, a place of danger or pain. So, you know, you're happily at home and there's a home invasion. Um, you're out for a walk in your favorite spot of the woods or on your favorite trail you find a dead body. Um, you're sitting out in your hot tub like Alexa was one night, and somebody shoots at you. Um, you know, so there's all sorts of safe spaces that can suddenly become dangerous, and that in and of itself builds suspense. And a well, similar concept is um, suddenly revealing that people who you thought were safe who you were thought good, were good people are actually dangerous, and that can really uh, ramp up the suspense. 
as can putting your key characters in danger. I mean, that's really one of the um, most frequent plot devices that we use in suspense. Um, and that includes, you know, key face-offs with bad guys, um, life-or-death struggles. Um, all of those are, are techniques that can keep the reader on the edge of their seat. Yeah, you know, in, in a way, sometimes all these tips may sound intimidating, like how can I do this all at once? Well, you don't have to. Like you, I usually just make sure, get all the rough draft done, and then I'll go back. And I'll say, well, this is a place that I can help the suspense, or this I I can have a, a cliffhanger here, you know, at the end of the story or the end of a paragraph. So these are, you know, all tips that you know really effective writers use. Um, well, we just brushed the service with writing tips today. Um, to wrap up, we thought we'd do a lightning round of things to avoid in your writing. We'll just throw them out there for consideration right now, and maybe we can go into depth for a future show. Sherry, do you want to start? Sure. Um, so things to avoid. Um, one on my list is fancy words. You know, sometimes it does make sense to use just that right word, and maybe it's a long or um, unusual word that's not uh, not seen in, in common, you know, dialogue or vocabulary. But generally... If you have to send your readers to the dictionary frequently with imp- uh, to look up uh, what these impressive vocabulary words you're using are, what they mean, that's probably not your best choice. Yeah, another one is avoid cliches, uh, overworked metaphors and imagery. Uh, sometimes these work in dialogue, but in the exposition or description, not so much. But for the most part, wait for the cliché. Avoid them like a plague. Now, see, if I wanted to make it a fresh metaphor, I could. I would have said, like, avoid them like a, a hornet's nest or fire ants or something to freshen it up, which kind of reminds me of a, um, a lesson when I taught. Um, I spent 90 minutes on how to avoid cliches. And with the students, I'd have them write all of their cliches down. And then when we'd wad them up and throw them away, and I said, now they are no longer in our vocabulary. Um, <laughs> so you could you know, to take a cliche, you know, like um, avoid, like avoid, like the plague, and to freshen it up. You know, just think of a you know a fresh um, idea that you haven't seen before, and it, most of the time it will work. That's a good idea. Um, Just one more thing to avoid in your writing Um, And I have to admit that there is a little bit of um, controversy about this But uh, the general sense these days seems to be avoid adverbs Um, You know, folks heartily suggest that you don't That you rarely use adverbs unless you absolutely need to That's a little adverb humor there um, but with that, we're out of time uh, for our writing tips, at least for today. And perhaps we can revisit you know, one of these cliches, maybe, you know, at another time in, in depth. Finally, a reminder to all you readers and listeners out there, our books are available at Sunbury Press's online bookstore, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other online retailers and bookstores. And any independent bookseller can order them too. 
A special thanks for all of you listening out there to Milford House Mystery. We hope you enjoyed our program. Our next program will be on July 18th, where Sherry and I will interview an author. You can also follow us on BookSpeak Network, and you can follow us on social media. Yeah, I'm on the web at www.sherrynolton.com, plus on Facebook and Twitter. And I'm on the Facebook, facebook.com backslash Carlisle Crime Cases by J.M. West. And my website is www.carlislecrimecases.com, all lowercase, for more detail about the novels and the series. So, um, until next time, thanks. Uh, we have, we'll see you then. And um, we really appreciate you listening to our writing tips. Bye. And join Join us on July 18th for our